The text I'll actually uh, preach from today is Psalm 24. Again, this is the lection psalm. And uh, you may want to follow along. In a few Bibles, it's on page 544. I will follow it fairly closely. So Psalm 24, and I ask you to listen. This is God's word to us. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and all who live therein. He founded it upon the seas and established it upon the waters. Who who may ascend the hill of the Lord and who may stand in God's holy presence? He who has clean hands, pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to an idol or swear by what is false, make a false promise. He will receive blessing from the Lord and vindication from the God his Savior. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek God's face. So lift up your heads, O you gates. Be lifted up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O you gates. Lift them up, you ancient doors that the King of glory may come in. Who is he, this King of glory? The Lord Almighty, he is the King of glory. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we ask that your Spirit give us wisdom and understanding so that we might hear rightly what you speak to us on this day. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to suggest that typically and normally we start out in the wrong place, which is understandable because it's really the only place for us to start. Let let me explain that. Normally we start out in the wrong place, understandable, it's the wrong place to start. We start out with me. It's really all about me. And That's understandable. I've been thinking about babies and kids lately. You might understand why. Um, So I want you to think of a baby. The whole world is about that baby. That baby wants something, they scream. That baby's hungry, they scream. That baby's got some load down there, they scream. Sorry, but true. It's all about them. Now, when that child gets to be two years old, I, I read an article the other day, and I... I think I mentioned it, uh, in, in the lifetime of a person, the most violent time of a person's life is when that child is two years old. Because if that child doesn't get what they want, they'll break something. <laughs> now, you've got to discipline that child. Or you can say, well, they're just expressing their inner wonderful. Or you can discipline them, otherwise everything in your house is broken, because it's all about them. Now, what I often say is that growing old does not necessarily mean growing mature. Because as we grow old, what we learn to do is still have the world all about me, but we become much more subtle about it. So if you're not getting your way, if I'm not getting my way, we pout. We uh, become angry. We become passively aggressive. We become a preacher. Are you listening to me? Right? I mean, some truth there, right? So we start with me because that's the way we start. But I want to suggest 
we can mature and we can move away from that and we can listen to the words of Psalm 24 because Psalm 24 tells us, in a sense, how to mature, how to grow, how to move away from that self-centeredness. The world is the, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the earth, the world, and all that live therein. So let's start with God. Let's start with the sovereignty of God, with the majesty of God, with the sovereignty of God. Now again, typically we don't start there, we start with me. And if you think about it, every cliche that we live in, and, and the world of cliche is really a world that we live in, every cliche that we have wants to focus on the self. It's all about you, you know. It, as long as you're happy, as, as long as you have your health, because it's all about you. You know my rule about cliché? If the cliché... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to print this, and I'm going to make a lot of money off it. If it fits on a bumper sticker, it's probably wrong. Think about it. <laughs> but we live in this world of cliché that reminds us it's all about me, but it doesn't necessarily have to be that way. The truth is, the reality is, we are owned. We belong to a mighty God. We are owned. Now again, if you think about the progression of, of maturity of, of a child, the baby, the infant, doesn't know they are owned, but it's very important that they are because the loving mom feeds that child and cares for that child. And when the child becomes two, that child needs to start learning that they are owned, they belong. You don't go in the living room and start breaking things because that's not yours. The teenager, oh, it's so fun to pick on teens, sorry, <laughs> but it is. And so the cliche, you're not the boss over me. Yes, we are. <laughs> Whose house you living in? You know what I'm saying? And we need to realize this. In fact, St. Paul, 1 Corinthians 6, St. Paul says, and this is the start of maturity, do you not know? Have you not been told? You are not your own. You have been purchased at a price. We belong. We are owned. We belong to God. And I want to suggest we need to learn that because the reality is we fight that all along the way. Every teenager, sorry, but it's true, and I'm lumping these groups of people together, kind of a weird group, teenagers, all alcoholics and every addicted person and every dysfunctional person, which is everybody, <laughs> loves to live with that cliche that says, you don't understand me. I, I'm, I'm different. You under, don't understand. And, and the retort to that is, yes, I do. I understand you. You're rebellious. You're arrogant. You are owned. You are not your own. You have been purchased at a great price. You belong to Christ. God is sovereign. So the first thing we need to realize is that we don't need to start with ourselves. We can start with God. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and all who live therein. God is sovereign and we belong to God. Now when we realize that, then we start seeking God. And that's what the psalmist says. We seek God. He uses that word twice. Who can ascend the mountain of God? In other words, who can seek God? Who is it that can stand in the presence of God? We need to seek God. Now, in order to seek God, we need to take the initiative. 
We need to look for the will of God. Now, let me pause. Let me talk theology. Is that okay? One of the realities of theology is that there are some paradoxes. And the paradox, as you know, the word paradox means two seemingly contradictory statements that are, that are not contradictory. So, do we seek God, as the psalmist says, or does God seek us? What's the answer? Yes. They're both right. But I want to suggest that in our world, we have become so lazy spiritually, to be blunt, that we have lost the paradox. That instead of actively seeking God, we live with the cliché. You know where I am, God. Come, you know, it's all about me. You find me. And that we've become so passive in that, that we ha we've lost the idea of being on pilgrimage, of being on a journey, of seeking out God. Let me talk a little history since I'm talking theology. Do you remember a guy named John Calvin, St. John Calvin? Dead guy, 1500s. John Calvin was the pastor and kind of the mayor of Geneva, and he had a consistory or official board or whatever. And, uh, and he wanted to empower that board, but he had some different ideas. And uh, in regards to communion, the Eucharist, Calvin wanted two things. The first thing that Calvin wanted was that communion should be served every time there's a worship service. Every Sunday or every worship service, they should have communion. The consistory voted him down. Do you know why? Because that's what Catholics do. So they weren't thinking theologically. They were defining themselves by what those people do, and we don't do it. We're not Catholic. So Calvin lost on that. Calvin lost a lot. Mature people have to learn to lose, I think. The other thing that Calvin wanted was to alternate weeks. One week, communion would be brought, the elements would be brought to the people, like we do, distribute the elements. The other week, the people would come forward, like the Catholics do. And the reason for that is that uh, everything's symbolic. That one week, the emphasis was that God coming, stay right where you are. God accepts you as you are, and, the, and Christ will come to you. The second week is you're on a pilgrimage, you're on a journey, and you need to leave where you are because where you are is not a good place, and you need to come forward into the presence of God. I want to suggest that in our time, we have lost that paradox of seeking God. We have become lazy, we have be lost the image of sojourn, of leaving where we are and growing in holiness. Who can stand in the presence of God? Who can ascend his holy mountain? So God is sovereign. We need to seek the glory and the honor of God. How do we do that? How do we seek God? The psalmist tells us, verse 4 and 5, those who have, and by the way, these are four things, but this is a summary of the Ten Commandments. As you know, the, both Old and New Testament likes to summarize things. And so, Ten Commandments, but the summary of the Ten Commandments in verse 4 and 5. Those who have clean hands, in other words, whose behavior has been pure, a pure heart, in other words, those whose heart is not defiled by greed or lust or vengeance, clean hands, pure hearts who have not lifted your eyes up in idolatry, in other words, the focus has been God alone, Christ alone, 
and those who live in integrity with other people, so have not sworn falsely, let your yes be yes and your no be no, as St. Paul says, those who do that can enter and stand in the presence of God. Now, who can do that? You see, that's the problem. Who of us, raise your hand, clean hands, pure heart, no idolatry, absolute integrity in relationship. Raise your hands if you've been there. <laughs> that's the problem. So what do we do? How do you deal with that? I want to suggest, rather than elevating ourselves into the presence of God, what we have done is dumb down God and made God less than the sovereign, holy God that he is. How have we done that? Two ways, I think. Lots of ways, but two ways I'll talk about because somebody told me I had to, you know, finish today. <laughs> One, we have reduced the image of the sovereign, holy God who is a personal deity who cares a lot about the way we live and how we believe, and we have transformed the image of a sovereign, holy God into a spiritual energy that helps us get energized to meet our dreams. We have dumbed down God. The other thing we have done is we have dumbed down language. We say, God is an awesome God, but everything's awesome. You're awesome. I'm awesome. I had a hot dog last night that was awesome. So if a hot dog is awesome and God is awesome, what does that mean? We need to recapture the power, the sovereignty, the majesty of God. Look at the story of Uzzah, because that story is repeated throughout both the Old and the New Testament. Think about it. God, and I'm summarizing vastly here, God divided the Red Sea. If you're on the wrong team, what happens? You die. The Ark of the Covenant, the rules around the Ark are strict. Only a priest can touch that Ark. Nobody else. But you know, Uzo was in his house for a while, Abinadab, Dad, you know, was in my house, got kind of comfortable with it. So you touch it, you break the rules, you die. And just so you know, you think that's Old Testament stuff, we don't have to listen to that. Same story is repeated in the New Testament. Remember Acts 5, Sapphira and, uh, oh, look at your notes, Ananias. <laughs> Sapphira and Ananias, what happened when they lied to Peter, Acts 5? He died. He died because he lied to Peter. God is sovereign, and we need to, instead of just dumbing down our image of God, elevate ourselves in purity and holiness. Now, now here's the paradox. The paradox is we need to seek God. The closer we get, the further we realize we are. And so we need help. We need to allow God to come into our lives, or as the psalmist says, open wide the gates. Now, that's probably the gates of the temple that are open so that the ark can come in or the, the pilgrims can come in. But through the, throughout history of interpretation of the psalm, that's been understood not only as the opening of the gates of the temple or the opening of the gates of the city, it's been the opening of the gates of our hearts. We need to open our lives, the, open our hearts, so that God can give us the authority and the power so that we can become more than what we are. We can live from glory unto glory. And how do you do that? Can I create an acronym? It's just one acronym and I'm, and I'm done. The acronym is HEART. H-E-A-R-T. How do we allow God into our hearts so that we can elevate ourselves? H. We do it with humility, humbleness, 
We do not deserve the Spirit of Christ in our hearts, but God's desire is to give it. So if you think for a moment you have the right to it, give it up. It's grace, it's free, it's love. Humbleness of heart, that's the H. E, exclusivity, that our hearts are open to Christ alone, because Christ alone is the sovereign God. Humbleness, exclusivity, attentiveness, increased attentiveness. That means we are paying attention to God, not only at worship, but at breakfast, at rest, at work, at play. Our attentiveness is to God. Humbleness, exclusively to Christ. Attentiveness to God. Receptivity, hearts open, so that we can receive the authority of Christ in our hearts and trust, because only Christ is trustworthy. We normally start in the wrong place, but we don't need to. Mature people can change and move from glory into glory, and we can start with the authority and the power of Christ and open our hearts, or, as the book of Hebrews says, chapter 10, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God and wondrous. Let's pray. Lord, we give thee thanks that you are awesome in the full meaning of the word. And we who are your very broken servants open our hearts to you, for you alone our Lord and Savior. Thank you. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.